So we'll be enjoying those for the next week or two, so praise the Lord. All right. Well, this morning, the title of the message is Let Freedom Reign. Let Freedom Reign. Praise the Lord. Freedom in Christ. But before I get to that, I want to um, make a couple of comments here on uh, an email. See if you guys got got this email or not. Let me uh, start out here. One day... God was looking down on the earth and saw all of the evil that was going on. He decided to send an angel down to the earth to check it out. So he called one of his best angels and sent the angels to the earth for a time. When he returned, he told God, yes, it's bad on earth. 95% is bad and 5% is good. Well, he thought for a moment and said, maybe I better send down a second angel to get another point of view. So God called another angel, sent him down to the earth for a time too. When the angel returned, he went to God and told him, yes, the earth is in decline. 95% was bad and 5% was good. God said this was not good. So he decided to send an email to the 5% that were good. And he wanted to encourage them, give them a little something to help them keep going. Do you know what the email said? (laughs) Y'all didn't get it, huh? (laughs) Well, me and Lorraine, we got the email, praise God. All right. Well, praise God. Amen. No, he doesn't open it. He probably deleted it or something. Went right on by it, right? Yeah. I am friends with God, though. God friended me. Did what? Oh, there you go. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we were going to pray and get in before we get into God's Word this morning. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. And Lord, we thank you so much for everyone that's here today. Father, we just ask today that you would uh, bless them in, their, in our time together with you. Father, we thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we thank you for our great nation, the United States of America, and the principles that it was found upon today. And Lord, we thank you that that be restored in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you so much for your word that it brings revelation knowledge to us, that we have illumination of spirit inside of us, that we have revelation from your word. Thank you for it. We give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I kind of want to give a little bit of a history and and, um, talk a little bit about how did we get here, you know? How, How did America even come about? And why was there such a great nation formed? And how did it get formed? And, um... If we look back in history, we'll find out that back in the 13th century, uh, the Roman Catholic Church was was uh, the only one that really had the Bible. They were the only ones that had uh, scripture and it was written in Latin and, and the priests and the monks and those people were really the only ones that could take God's word and uh, present it to the people. And it was illegal to have your own Bible back at this time. 
Well, there was a couple of reformers that were raised up back in this time. John Husk, uh, the Wycliffe uh, Bible translators, they were raised up then. Uh, several of those people were burned at the stake for heresy, for getting God's word and the Bible into people's hands. Well, out of that came a reformer named Martin Luther. Martin Luther, he was a guy that all he wanted to do was reform the church. He didn't have any... Um, uh, I want to to dismantle the church the way it got dismantled. His heart was to get the true word of God into the minds and the hands of people. And um, because of the Roman Catholic Church at that time, they were they did everything by works. You know, you had to pay penance to get your sins forgiven. And you had to take, uh, you know, your money up there and give it to the person there that was taking the money. And then if you were lucky, you got your sins uh, forgiven for that week. And then, you know, you could even give penance for your family members that had died. And, you know, and so that's kind of the way the, uh, the church operated back then. Well, Martin Luther, he wanted to please God. He wanted to do things that God would uh, ordain and that God that were ordained by God. And so he got he, he said, I'm going to become a monk. And then from there, I'm going to become a priest. And so he when he went there, a very intelligent guy, he could he could speak Latin fluently. And so he got the Latin Bible out and he started reading the New Testament in the Latin Bible. And he discovered that the church was teaching false doctrine. The church was uh, in error of what the Bible had fully been intended for. And he said, this is not right. And he said, I'm going to translate the Bible into German. And so he translated that Bible into German. And we had our first Bible. And for the first time, people could get the Bible for themselves. And they could read the Bible for themselves at that time in uh, about 17, 1500s is when this took place. And um, so I just want to make some comments here of what Martin Luther said, uh, some things that he noticed that it is by grace through faith that we're saved. It is not by works, lest any man should boast, Ephesians 2.8. But here's a little saying, if you want to say it that way, that he said. He said, if you have true faith that God is your Savior, then at once you have a gracious God. You have faith, your faith leads you and opens God's heart and will that you should see pure grace and overflowing love. This is to behold God in faith that there is neither anger or ungraciousness coming from God. He who sees God as angry does not see him rightly but looks only on a curtain as if a dark cloud had been hung on his face. And then he wrote this poem, this him thus spoke the son hold thou to me from now on thou will make it i give my life for thee and for the will i stake it for thy will i stake it for i am thine and thou art mine and where i am our lives are entwined the old fine cannot shake it and he's talking about the enemy there the old heresy and so when we have Martin Luther back in the 15th century and he comes out with this revelation that God is not mad at him. God is not angry with Martin Luther. That was a heavy revy for Martin Luther back at that time because all the time he had been taught that God is mad. How many of you know there's still a little bit of that today? That God is mad. That God is doing all of this destructive stuff and this rioting stuff today. How many of you know that's not God? 
that is not God doing that. Thank God that God's gracious, God's love. He's doing, he is not behind the scene doing something here that, that he doesn't approve of in the first place, right? Um, I haven't spoke much about the death, you know, from the, from the guy there, George Floyd, that was, that was killed, you know, through the police officer. How many of you know that's stupidity? That should never, ever happen. I mean, this police officer had the guy in handcuffs. Why did he have to do what he did? Nobody deserves that. Not, there's no human being that should be treated that way. Yeah, nobody. And so then that kind of spurred on all of this stuff that's going on. And I mean, if you know, it's not God. I want to emphasize that. It's not God. And if you look at the second part of our um, introduction there, go back one deal there, Krista. <laughs> And uh, before I get into a little more American history here, what what is what is taking place? Condition determines conduct. Now, I didn't put that in your front of your notes. If you want to write that down, condition determines conduct. You think about that. Condition determines conduct until interrupted by an external force. Well, you just let that phrase kind of hang there. Write it down. I don't think I wrote it down in your notes, but kind of, kind of let that hang there. All right. So let's get back to uh, Martin Luther. So in the 1500s, he was he was part of the Reformation. There was Reformation taking place, and all kinds of other uh, faiths came out of that. Anabaptist movement, which which Animal Valley Church is part of. You know, you don't baptize an infant and he's saved for the rest of his life. You have to make a confession of faith as an adult. To be saved, you have to believe on Jesus Christ. That's part of that anti-Baptist movement, which Antelope Valley Church is birthed out of that, right? And that happened back in the in the 1500s. Well, then out of that came a group of people from the British and the Europeans. They said, this church over here has held us captive for so long. The Roman Catholic Church has been lying to us. They've been teaching us false doctrine. And we found out that Jesus Christ is the true answer. And if they're going to keep this up, and it was so intertwined in the government, it was so intertwined in politics, it was so intertwined with that, that they withheld the word of God, that if you ever got the word of God and you figured out what the word of God said, you might go free and you, you'll figure out that we're wrong. And so there was a group of people that came out of the British, the Europeans. They started coming to America. And America was found out of that Reformation. America was found on uh, the godly principles. And I just want to take one little excerpt out of that. Uh, before I do, though, I want to talk about the, you know, the Wesleys and the Calvins. John Wesley and, 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 and Calvin, John Calvin, they, they went up and down the East Coast preaching the gospel on a horse. I mean, they preached, I forget how many sermons, you know, John Wesley and John Calvin, both of those preached on the back of a horse. And the nations, the colonies were founded out of the Reformation that Martin Luther started. And we can see evidence of this in, in 1607. The first colony was found in Jamestown, Virginia in 1607. Many of the people who settled in the New World came to escape religious persecution. How I many of you know uh, they left that? They were being persecuted. They were being drugged into jail. They were being hunted down and burnt at the stake because they got a hold of the Bible and had a revelation of God's grace and that each individual had certain rights. 
The Pilgrims, founders of the Plymouth, Massachusetts, arrived in 1620 in both Virginia and Massachusetts. The colonists flourished with some assistance from the Native Americans. Now, Patrick Henry, I want to use him for just a little bit of a, a topic today. How many of you have heard Patrick Henry? All right, where's my history scholars at? Patrick Henry, all right? Here, we're going to talk about him for just a little bit. Patrick Henry was born May 29, 1736. As a young man, Patrick Henry, uh, Patrick Henry's influence in the American colonies, uh, Henry, a natural leader and a brilliant speaker, believed in individual rights. Where did he get that? Martin Luther. Martin Luther said every individual should be able to have a Bible in their hands. They should be able to know what the individual's rights is. He got that from him. He believed in individual rights and independence from the British government. As a young lawyer, he astonished courtroom audience in 1763 with an elegant defense based on the idea of natural rights. The political theory that humans are born with certain inalienable rights. Then he puts in parentheses here, incapable of being surrendered. Rights. The idea of natural rights is central to the Declaration of Independence. The idea of a natural right is central to the Declaration of Independence. Does this sentence from the Declaration sound familiar to you? We hold these equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable, inalienable rights, that among these our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Every believer, every person on the earth has that right, should have that right available to them. Am I right? Every don't have, don't matter if you're a believer or if you're not, every person has the right to life, liberty, pursuit, and happiness, right? And we don't have to squelch somebody else's life, liberty, pursuit, and happiness to gain theirs. Because we're shifting blame and we're making shame, right? When we do that. And that's kind of what's taking place today. And so he recognized that. Patrick Henry recognized that. Um, with the war against Great Britain looming, Henry proclaimed, I know what course others, I know not what others, others what course others may take. But as for me, give me that's what he said. Give me liberty or give me death. I don't care. He said, I don't know what others are going to take. I don't know what path others are going to take. But he says, as for me, give me liberty or give me death. In other words, he said, I'm going to stand for Christ. As the first governor of Virginia and as a state legislator, Henry continued to have profound influence on the development of the new nation. He worked for the addition, he worked for the addition of the first ten amendments to the Constitution, to the Constitution, known as the Bill of Rights. They guarantee certain freedoms such as freedom of speech and freedom of religion. Uh, can you imagine the U.S. without these rights? Why are people tearing down history? Why are people doing this? Because they want to shift blame for their action today. <laughs> if your ancestors hadn't done this, I wouldn't be in this trouble. If your ancestors hadn't, uh, you know, uh, done certain things over here, my life would be better today. How many of you know that's just plain old stupid? 
Right? <laughs> I mean, you have got rights. You have got inalienable rights that you've got. Why are you trying to pervert the, that? You know, and that's what's taking place today. And it wants it wants to silence the church. It wants to silence God's people. It wants to silence that because it wants to be a dictator. That thing that is being portrayed. How I many of you know how how the communist government started over you know overseas there when it started? Let's erase history. Let's rewrite history. Let's make ourselves the god. That's how it started, just like all this is happening today. And it's time for you and I to rise up and say, ah, give me liberty or give me death. Because I'm standing for what Christ says. I'm standing for uh, what he says. Right? But it's nothing new. This happened, um, you know... It happened back in the back in back in the Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve, they were given freedom. They lived in a free society. They could make choices. And their choices had had uh, consequences. Right? And what happened? We can see here uh, condition to Durman's conduct until interrupted by an external force. So we can see here in Genesis. Chapter 2, verse 16, created in a place, created and placed in the garden free. The Lord commanded the man. He said, you are free. That man and that woman were free to do anything they wanted to do in that garden. They knew nothing but good. They knew nothing but God and his presence. They knew nothing except for God and his goodness. That's all they knew. They didn't know evil. They didn't know bad. They didn't know the difference. They didn't know anything. They didn't know there was any evil. Didn't know it. And they disobeyed. And so they were irresponsible. They were irresponsible with the things that God told them to do. They were irresponsible uh, with what God said. He gave them dominion. And there was irresponsibility there. And so... Let's go to our next point. Irresponsibility of freedom. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. They knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. So here we can see the human effort to get themselves back in right standing. God came through that garden and he said, Adam, he didn't call the woman. How many of you know, guys? Didn't call the woman. He didn't say, Eve, where are you? <laughs> right? He said, Adam, where are you? And Adam said, I was scared. He said, why were you scared? Did you eat of that tree I told you not to eat of? And he said, yes. He said, well, how did you know you were naked? Now we know the good between good and evil. Now we know evil as well as good. But thank God he didn't leave them there. What did they do? They were irresponsible. They didn't take responsibility for their action. Adam, what did he say? If you read the story, well, you know, if you hadn't given me this woman, if you just would keep that woman over there and just let me by myself, if you just, you know, if you hadn't given me that woman, I, I wouldn't have taken it. She was, she's the one that took that apple off the tree and gave it to me, and I ate of it. 
What did you give me that woman for? And the woman said, well, you know that crazy serpent over there. He climbed up that tree and he said, look, this fruit is really nice. Won't you take a bite of it? It looks real nice and it's good food. And, you know, and, and so she shifts the blame over to the serpent. Blame shift, blame shift, you know, right? They cover themselves up with fig leaves and God said, no, somebody's going to have to shed blood. So he kills that first animal, makes some leather uh, clothes for them, and they wear leather clothes from then on. See, irresponsibility. They were irresponsible with what God told them to do. So when you and I, we don't take the responsibility, and we, it, it takes responsibility to maintain freedom. It takes responsibility for you and I to maintain the freedom that we have. We have to live according to God's word. And we have to realize that it is not God causing all the bad stuff. That's, that's the evil side. That's the dark side. That's being influenced by the wrong spirit. Praise the Lord. Amen. It's being influenced by the wrong spirit. Okay, so we know that Jesus came. And in John chapter 8, there's a story there where Jesus is talking to the Jews and the Pharisees and the, the teachers and, the, and the, 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 the teachers of the law. He's talking and he's teaching there in John chapter 8. All of a sudden, these religious folks, they bring this lady down there that's been called in adultery. And they say, Jesus, Moses' law says for us to stone them. They've been caught in adultery. And Jesus, you know, he didn't say it, but I have to ask the question, well, where's the men? Where's the men of that society? Why didn't you bring a man down here too? That takes two to tango, you know. <laughs> right? <laughs> Isn't that right? Yes. But they bring this woman down there and say, Jesus, what do you say about this? What do you say about this woman that's caught in adultery? Should we stone her or shouldn't we? What is Jesus doing? All his wisdom. Jesus, the wise person he is, he leans down on the dirt and he starts writing stuff in the dirt. All of a sudden, those religious folks, those Pharisees, the Sadducees, they leave one by one. They start going away. And he turns to that woman and he says, where, have you, where are those who accuse you? And he told her, he said, you're free. Go and sin no more. And then he comes to this, and, and so, you know, they get all upset. He comes here to John chapter 8, verse 36 in our notes. He says, so if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Jesus talking to the religious folk. He said, if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Jesus told them that. So, um, uh, you know... One problem that we also have in society today, and I believe it's even sometimes resident in the church, we become masters at getting rid of guilt, right? When we understand uh, the judicial system of God's system that it takes a pure holy sacrifice to cleanse our, uh, uh, our spirit from unrighteousness, we understand as the church that Jesus himself has to cleanse our heart. He has to cleanse our spirit. And it is only by him that we have grace and we have the right to come into God's presence. Right? How many of you going to go in your own rights? Not too many hands went up. How many of you going to go in Jesus' rights? Every hand should be going up, right? We're all going in Jesus' rights. So it is not my rights. And so when I come to him and I get forgiveness, guess what? 
That removes every stain of guilt. That removes the sense of inferiority. That should remove that, right? But how many of you have a problem with still having something in your mind that brings a little shame? That you still have a little shame there, right? Okay, so see, that's an illegal function in God's judicial system. Because if we're not real careful as believers, we'll yield in and we'll cave in to the shame that the world's trying to put on us today. Well, you're just a, you're just a, you know, uh, you're just, what do they call, what's the word out there that they're calling Christians now? You're intolerable. You just don't, you just don't have any tolerance in you at all, you know. Right? What's another word that they're calling the believers today? Um, you know, a heretic. Um, you know, you, you just you just don't accept anybody. Well, yeah, I do accept you, but, it, you know, <laughs> I, I'm not going to be ashamed. You're not going to put shame on me either. See, you and I, we have to get rid of the shame too. We got, we're pretty good at getting rid of the guilt, right? We come into God and we come and ask forgiveness. We get rid of the guilt. But you and I have to become masters as well as getting rid of the shame. And shame is gone. Then we have a whole heart. Then we come into God's presence without the sense of guilt, without the sense of inferiority. And we can stand in in there and uh, move along with what God has for us. So he says, if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. See that? So... That means my past no longer has dictatorial or uh, power over me unless I'm still dabbling in sin. Unless I'm still dabbling in sin. And if I'm still dabbling in sin, I need to get rid of the sin. I need to quit what I'm doing and get on with God, right? I need to do that. And I believe that there, there is a little bit of things that's, that the church has allowed you might say, in the church, uh, you know, as far as, um, you know, let's was sleeping together and before we're married, these type of things, the church is okay, you know, divorce and, you know, and, and thank God we're not, uh, you know, if you're in an abusive situation and somebody's running around on you, get out of that situation or get healed or something. Praise God. God does allow it. He wants it in the right place. Amen. But see, when the church is guilty, when the church is still guilty of things that God doesn't approve of, guess what? We don't have any power. There's no power there. Why? Because we're dabbling in the same thing the world's dabbling in. And if the church is dabbling in the same thing the, the world's dabbling in, there's no, the, you are, you're, you're actually guilty. But thank God for the blood of Jesus that when we repent, we truly and sincerely repent and we come into the things of the Lord. We do with a sincere heart the things God asks us to do. We know that he cleanses us from that. He makes us whole again. He makes us right with him. And then that guilt and shame should be gone. We're moving into the, the right relationship with God. Right? But if we dabble in the same sin the world's dabbling in, the church has no power. There's no authority there. You don't, you just, you know, I mean, we just got a club. Right? But when the church will say, this is not right, you should, there's no sleeping around in our kingdom, in our way of life. There's no sleeping around before you get married. Right? See? Notice how the amen's only halfway there. <laughs> Come on, that's the sign of something, boy, right? 
Why, yeah, you know, the enemy come along. Yeah, but you did it. No, I don't know. Yeah, I did, but I know better now. I got cleansed from that. I can tell my kids, I got cleansed from that. I got cleansed from unrighteousness, and now I'm doing the right thing, and I'm not going to live under shame and guilt. And see, when the church says to live the way God says for us to live, then the power shows up. Then the anointing shows up. Then society changes. Then culture changes. Praise the Lord. Amen. And see, I can guarantee you, if I went to talk to young people, they want to hear the truth. Don't you, Ronnie? You want the truth. If I was to call young people out, and I was to say to my grandkids and my great-grandkids and people that I come in contact, young people, they want to see the truth. They don't want the wishy-washy stuff. They want truth. And they don't want, uh, you know, mealy-mouthed truth. They want truth, praise God, I know. Right? Young people want to know the truth. And when you and I as believers, when we speak the truth in love and we say, uh, yes, I did it, but, you know, God, help me. God doesn't approve. This is the way we conduct ourselves in the kingdom. Here it is. Amen. And the truth is the only thing that makes us free. Jesus said, so if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. And the only way you stay free is to obey his word. That's it. Okay, I want to, um, ah, shoot, all right, I, I'm going to, I'm going to pick it up right there next week, so you guys come back, but, but I want to end today, I want to end today with, with some of the um, um, information where the Declaration of Independence was, was founded, and this is, by, this is the book, Miracles in American History, by Susie Fetter, adapted by William J. Fetter's American Minute. All right. So, guess guess how um, the Constitution was formed. Let me read this. On February 24, 1786, New Hampshire's government, John Langdon, set a day of fasting. Imagine that. Fasting and praying. <laughs> who's in? Come on, who's in? We're going to pray for our nation, right, and our community. We want our community to have the influence of God in it, right? Uh, that would, he would be pleased to bless the great council of the United States of America and direct their deliberations that he would rain down righteousness upon the earth. Rain down righteousness. You don't know how to pray? Pray that. God rain down righteousness upon the earth. How are you going to do it? Through the believers who are walking right with God and don't have any shame or guilt. Amen. Right? Uh, revive, he says, send this to the earth. Revive religion and spread abroad the knowledge of true God, the Savior of man. Spread abroad that knowledge, the true Savior, the only way, the truth, and the life. That is Jesus Christ. Amen. Anybody know any other way to get there? That's the only way I know to get there. At the Constitutional Convention in 1787, 55 writers of the United States Constitution were 26 Episcopalian Christian, 11 Presbyterian, 7 Congregational Christian, 2 Lutheran, 2 Dutch Reformed Christian, 2 Methodists, 2 Quakers, 2 Roman Catholic, and Dr. Franklin who called for prayer at the Constitutional Convention on June 28, 1787, starting... In the beginning of the contest with Great Britain, when we were sensible in danger, we had daily prayer in this room for the divine protection. Divine protection. How many of you know uh, God, God, if the church is out of order and the church is not doing the things of the Lord, how many of you know there's not too much protection there? 
You, we have removed ourselves like Adam and Eve did. They made the choice. And their choices produce consequences. It's another thing that's, that's kind of construed. Well, you can just do whatever you want and live however you want and everything's going to be all right. How many of you know that's a lie? Choices have consequences. Why do we discipline our children? <laughs> choices have consequences. You know, when they get to adult size, we say, well, you know, if you want to go down this road, go ahead. But here's what could happen if you go down that road. Right? God says the same thing. You want to go down that road? Hey, you're free. Go. But you better think about the consequences that a same-sex marriage is going to give you. You better think about the consequences that, you know, these things that happen. What's the consequence of that? God didn't approve of that. He didn't design that. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. So, now, uh, now, there's two states. How many of you heard the controversy in New York City? <laughs> right? Or Pennsylvania, even. Right? Pennsylvania said this when they wrote their constitution. Second to write, okay, they were second to ratify the U.S. Constitution, stated in its 1776 state constitution, signed by none other than who was the who was the person? No, Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin, each member before he takes his seat shall subscribe. I do believe in one God, the creator and governor of the universe, the rewarder of the good and the punisher of wicked. <laughs> Duh! And I do acknowledge the scripture of the Old Testament and the New Testament. That was, that was one of the things they put in their constitution. Pennsylvania. Can you believe it? So when they made an oath, when they made a covenant with God, they use his name up there in his constitution, and then they violate that, and they make laws contradicting to that, guess what's going to happen? You're going to suffer the consequences. And it's not God causing it. You open the door to the enemy yourself, and you let him in, and now he's wreaking havoc. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Praise God. How about New York? things that's going on. Let's see how they started out with their constitution. Uh, the 11th to ratify the U.S. Constitution stated in 1777 state constitution of the United American States declare laws of nature and the nature's God. All men are created equal and they are endowed with their creator with certain unalienable rights appealing to the supreme judge of the world. A firm reliance on protection of divine providence. People of this state ordain the free exercise and enjoyment of religious profession and worship. How many of you know that's freedom of religion and freedom of speech right there? Without discrimination provided that the liberty of conscience hereby granted shall not be construed as to excuse acts of lasciviousness. New York State endorsed that constitution right there. How many of you think they made a covenant with God? Right? Well, what do you expect when they violate that? What's going to happen? <laughs> when a mother can give birth to a baby, set it over there, and they and the doctor and the husband can look at it and say, Well, that just don't look like something I need. This, you know, abortion. Tell you something. Somebody's going somebody gonna to suffer the consequences. Amen? 
And it's because of the choices they make. It's not God causing them to make those choices. They choose to make them choices themselves. Amen. Amen. <laughs> See, but when the church just kind of when the church just kind of comes along and says, "Well, you know, they just kind of do what they want to do." When the church says the same thing, and when the church now is facing persecution for standing up to some of these things, now we're heretics. Now we're, you know, we're, we're, um, well, you just don't accept my, you know, um, politically correct language, you know. Let's get that politically correct language in there now. Yeah. Well, how's that working for you? <laughs> right? Uh -huh. Amen. But you and I, listen. I'm going to tell you something. We, you got to, you and I have to get real skillful at managing the shame that we have caused in our own life. I've got, I've done things. Trust me. And so have you that you're not real proud of. That you, if you were to go to back and look at the action in a civil way, you would be guilty. I would be guilty, right? But we come into the blood of Christ. Where that, 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 that guilt and, and all that sin is removed from me. Right? And it is removed from you. And so how do we flesh that out? We get rid of the shame. Because if the enemy can bring shame upon you and I, and he can bring shame upon things that we've done, and we don't know how to handle that, uh, it's hard to fight against it. Amen. So we have, to be, we, have to, we have to think the way God thinks. We have to say the same thing that God says about it. No, yeah, I did mess it up. God forgave me for that, and I'm trucking on with Jesus, doing 100% the best I can with Christ. Amen. Amen. Right? We're going to get it right, still going to miss it? Yeah, we'll still miss it a time or two, but I'm going to tell you something. You and I have got to stand up for what God's Word says for us, the way of conducting Himself. Go back to that first slide, Krista. That first one up there. Let's look at it again. Here's what's taking place in our world today. You know, we want to let freedom reign. Whatever will be, will be. That's not, that's not what God says about it. In Adam and Eve's case, condition determined conduct. When they, before they took that fruit, there was nothing but pureness in them. There was nothing but God in them. There was nothing but Christ. That, that's it. They knew nothing but God. They knew nothing about evil. Knew nothing about that. But the Satan, the enemy, tempted them. And he said, here, take this fruit. What happened? Man fell. What happened? An external, uh, until an external uh, force interrupted their life. You and I, on this side of that fall, guess what? We are born into sin. But when we come to Christ, guess what? Another external force entered us. And that is the Holy Spirit. We were, before we were born again, we did everything out of the natural. We did everything out of reasoning. We did everything else to win man's approval. Wasn't, didn't bring God into the equation at all. But I want to tell you something. When you and I got born again, there was an external force called the Holy Spirit that was poured on the day of Pentecost. He took up residency in the believer. And guess what? Now a condition determines conduct. Works the same way. When the Holy Spirit come back in us, guess what? That condition of the Holy Spirit living in me and you, that changes my conduct. And when I'm saturated in the Word of God, I do things according to the Word of God the best I know how. Praise God, I'm, that changes my conduct. That's going to influence, praise God. Not even a third of the way through the message today, but anybody happy? Amen. <laughs> 
Come on, if you want to stand with me today, you want to live as a believer, let's go ahead and stand up today as we dismiss. We're going to sing a song, and then uh, Bobby will pray us out of here. Listen, i got a humdinger for next week. Telling you, it's going to be good. I love America. Does anybody else? I like America. And I want to stand for America. And I want us to get some uh, reformation. i got to say this too. When you see what's going on in the streets, I said it last week, a couple weeks before. How many of you know the enemy always sends a counterfeit? He always sends a counterfeit. And so what you see happening in the streets today is what God wants to do in the streets. And he wants to do it through righteousness and through the believer. So if I say, hey, uh, Antelope Valley Church, I'm going to, you know, New York City to preach in the streets. Hey, who's going to send me? <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. I said, All right. And the board's saying, oh, God, James, no way, man. Let's go to Billings first and preach up there, right? <laughs> uh, oh, yeah, down the highway, something. Yeah, praise God. So. Listen, we love you guys, and, and um, we're all in this thing together. We're going to get through this thing together. It's going to be good. Amen? Amen? And Christ will be exalted through the whole thing, so praise the Lord. Happy Fourth of July from Paul and I. We'll see you all over there if you're coming.